0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines, Asian stocks drop following Wall Street into the red. The IMF cuts global growth again, blaming trade tensions amid new tariff threats from President Trump. EU leaders are poised to offer the UK a second Brexit extension, but France wants strict conditions as European Council President Donald Tusk calls for a long, flexible
1: delay.
2: Meanwhile, German Finance Minister Olaf Scholz tells CNBC his country is ready for any Brexit end result.
1: We are well prepared for both an agreement and a Brexit without an agreement. It would be better to have... Something which is a deal.
2: Bank vows to keep employee interest in sight amid merger talks with Deutsche Bank, as the head of Germany's Verdi labor union tells CBS exclusively that the group has enough power to block the tie-up.
0: Verdi is capable of acting for both banks. We see that many employees are taking to the streets to protest against the merger. That's why the boards of Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank Bank are well-advised not to push through a merger against the will of the employees.
3: Well, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his chief rival Benny Gantz both claiming victory in elections here overnight in a neck-and-neck race. The local media now reporting that Mr. Netanyahu is the most likely to form a coalition.
2: the show talking about growth as the IMF has cut its 2019 growth outlook yet again in its third downgrade since October the fund said it expects the world economy to grow by 3.3% this year down from an earlier forecast of three and a half percent and warned of the risk of further cuts to its outlook the IMF said global growth is slowing more than expected and a steeper downturn could call for coordinated stimulus measures Speaking to our U.S. colleagues, IMF chief economist Geeta Gopinath pointed to the impact of ongoing trade tensions.
0: We see uh, an escalation of trade tensions as an important risk. So though there has been improvement uh, on the front between the U.S. and China uh, and a possible agreement in the near future, you know, we are worried about trade tensions escalating in other sectors, like the auto sector, and that will be particularly damaging given that it's a highly integrated uh, sector for the world with large global supply chains. Despite growth
2: now uh, being in question, but for many investors over the course of this year and next year, What have we got on markets well let's just take you to some of the action that we saw in the States because we are not far off record levels on stock markets so despite the fact that the outlook looks uncertain whether it's around trade issues from the United States and China spat to Europe now being in the mix and what that pressure is now putting on the global growth equation that's been a big question for many investors as well as uh, the underlying factors in many countries around politics brexit of course in this country we've still had u.s markets not far off some of their record highs the dow only about three percent from those levels the s p just uh, 2% off its record highs. And uh, I think that tells a story about how optimistic investors remain despite some of the economic headwinds. The Dow uh, in session yesterday, you can see pulling back down 7 tenths of a percent. In fact, uh, we're just starting to see a bit of a wobble come into US markets, but not necessarily around the growth concerns, but around earnings season as we count down to Friday when a number of the big banks will start reporting numbers. The S&P down 6 tenths, as you can see, and also retreat for the tech NASDAQ or the tech heavy index the NASDAQ and uh, in session if you're looking for stocks to buy you could see that uh, there was actually a small gain in some of those communication services stocks which is uh, a little bit of a tech leadership story but in terms of the decliners some of them around trade industrials falling again Energy also having a weak session after what has been a very strong run for the oil price. Uh, let me take you elsewhere to what we're seeing on uh, the dollar crosses and uh, and how we're shaping up across on foreign exchange markets this morning. The dollar trade's higher to the U arm a little bit uh, weaker versus the Japanese yen. The euro is uh, still facing uh, a few headwinds out there, One twelve sixty fifty nine roughly, versus the dollar is peeling back a fraction. Sterling, though, is one that is supported versus, versus the US dollar. All that is we, of course, have had... A lot of Brexit uncertainty around whether there'll be an extension to avoid a hard Brexit this week. Let's get to the opening calls. The early picture is a bit of a mixed one, mostly weaker for the FTSE, the DAX and the CAC. As you can see, red arrows for those three, a green arrow materialising for the Italian stock market this morning. So it does look like a fairly soft start as we remain trapped around that flat sign as we debate all the big issues, Jeff.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. I thought the market moves yesterday uh, in the face of a great deal of provocation were actually relatively steady. I noticed the VIX did spike But it only took us back to where we were on the 3rd of April, so only seven days ago. So there was a lot of noise in the market and a lot for dealers and traders to have to work with. But in reality, the moves around the indices and individual stocks didn't seem particularly dramatic unless there was idiosyncratic news. The the One point I wanted to just make about the, the IMF story. I mean, I'm just intrigued as to why the IMF is so rapidly adjusting its model because it almost feels like barely a fortnight passes now without another IMF downgrade on the growth. Is it the fresh provocation from the Trump administration over tariffs and the fact that you've got this weapon of mass distraction, Donald Trump's Twitter feed, active again here? Or are they looking at another series of data around corporate earnings or something else that's inclining them to this massive shift in the model that they're doing regularly here?
2: Well, perhaps it's around US growth, uh, some of the major markets. And I think that's been an issue. If we look at the, the trade problem, for me, we had another leg of it yesterday around Europe as Europe could potentially be dragged into a fight, just as we're hoping that we might be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel around the US-China spat. It tells you that these issues are very difficult to solve. I mean, the US-China debate has been going on for months and months and months. It's impacted sentiment, confidence, and if Europe is the same, uh, you know, goodness knows what impact that's gonna have on Europe. And if you think about the epicentre of the fight around Europe, it's around subsidies uh, to Airbus. I mean, there's, there's been an ongoing fight for 14 years between Airbus and Boeing, is the US president magically going to be able to solve that one issue overnight? Unlikely. Which then leaves us with the whole scenario that we're going to have tit for tat tariffs between the United States and and Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a rancorous, unresolved argument that's been going on for a very long time. We've sat around the desk and talked about it ad nauseum uh, for the last 15 years. And the reality is that... Both sides pointed the finger. Uh, Both stories, Boeing and Airbus subsidies, went to the WTO, and neither side accepts the outcome of the WTO findings at this point. So even as uh, President Trump is out there saying the subsidies have got to stop, the view from Europe is actually... You have done as many uh, things as we have done with Airbus or with Boeing. We don't see that there's an issue here. And immediately the Commission is now working on its own list of sanctions to retaliate with. So there doesn't seem to be a positive ending to this story at this point, yeah. unless either side is willing to pull so back.
2: Point, and Europe is not China. I mean, where is the stimulus that we can just readily tap into to try and shore up the economy here? If there is a problem, I mean, China was able to resort to those measures and push back against the United States and just keep stretching this one out till they get to the point where they're comfortable with negotiations. Europe may not be in the same position. 11 billion is nothing really at this point. But if the number, you know, ratchets up like we saw in the case with China, then, yeah, sure, that is a major issue. And I think while we've all been stressing about the US-China relationship, Brexit, uh, other big issues, a US recession. Perhaps the big issue could be a trade fight between Europe and the United States.
0: Yeah, uh, just in terms of the, the market, Markets, I mean, again, just talking about how uh, relaxed or perhaps some might say complacent the markets have been around these adjustments to growth forecasts. The reality is, if you look at the investor surveys that continue to come in, most investors seem to think you'll make a decent turn in US markets this year. There has been an increasing shift into emerging as people see the opportunity to take advantage of continued growth in many emerging markets and they have their fingers crossed for a slightly weaker dollar tone to the rest of this year that will be supportive for emerging. And the reality is I don't think anybody really is convinced that we're going to have a recession this year, possibly not even next year, but maybe gradually slowing growth. So it doesn't quite feel, even though this IMF IMF downgrade gets big headlines. They've actually only downgraded 2019 to 3.3 percent year on year. That's only, uh, you know, a couple of basis points off where they were uh, previously. And um, at the end of the day the sentiment continues to remain relatively robust in the light of all of these negative stories, Brexit, trade, or what, whatever you will.
2: We, we heard it yesterday from uh, one of the strategists we're talking to saying, well, there's no point owning risk-free assets at this point because you're not going to get compensated for it. So you may as well be holding uh, stocks without paying decent dividends because you, at least you, know, you can see the rewards there, the returns. But that doesn't mean the stock market can't go down from here. That's just the rationale for holding more risk assets. The stock market
0: can go down. Yeah, but I think that one of the harder questions is why has the stock market been going up if our investors are so nervous? I mean, look at, look at the Chinese markets. What have we done practically 30% year to date? And we know China's got a growth issue and we know that they're having to uh, cut reserve requirements at the banks and they are looking at other measures to stimulate at this stage. It hasn't stopped investors reconnecting with Chinese equities on very thin evidence.
2: But strangely, I feel more comfortable about that because you have such a huge momentum shift away from China. It feels like you might just be seeing normalisation in some of the flows. The US market is the one that I have even greater fears about. But anyway, we have to push on. Now let's uh, talk more about what's coming up. Plenty more from the IMF World Bank spring meetings in Washington over the next couple of days, including interviews with ESM Managing Director Klaus Regling and the IMS David Lipton. Uh, in the lineup, UBS chairman Axel Weber and Russian finance minister Anton Siluanov, to name just a few. So uh, be sure to tune in for the
0: coverage. Uh, the EU is to agree to the UK's request for a Brexit as- extension. That, according to a draft EU summit conclusion, the document says the delay should quote last as long as necessary, but does not provide an end date. That will be agreed upon by EU leaders at a special summit in Brussels this evening. But France has expressed concern over a potential year-long delay if the UK has not ratified the withdrawal agreement by May 22nd, it must hold EU elections according to the draft document. The EU will or sorry, the UK will also be asked not to jeopardize EU projects throughout the delay.
2: German finance minister Olaf Scholz has told CNBC that he welcomes Brexit talks between the UK government and the opposition Labour Party. Speaking in an interview, he added that a no deal is unlikely. Well, at least someone has confidence that those talks could go somewhere. Let's get to Anetta for more. Annette, weigh in with the German View.
4: Yeah, well, he's he's actually quite optimistic that there will be uh, eventually an agreement in uh, the UK Parliament between, uh, yeah, of course, both parties, and perhaps that comes because. Here in Germany, we're used to have a grand coalition, like a coalition between the two biggest parties, and they have sort of a tradition to agree on also uh, difficult matters. And that's why Olaf Scholz told me yesterday in Berlin, um, in an exclusive interview ahead of the IMF meeting, that he thinks uh, eventually they'll agree on that deal by Theresa May. Take a listen to what he said exactly.
1: I'm still confident that there will be... Um majority in the Parliament for agreeing to the um, treaty between the European Union and uh, the United Kingdom and I'm really happy that now there started a debate between majority and minority between Tories and Labour in the British Parliament uh, coming from the tradition of having a bipartisan uh, agreement tradition in in, in Germany, I'd say this should happen in questions of national importance and uh, so it would be very good for the United Kingdom, it would be um, good for the citizens of the United Kingdom and for all of us in Europe if we could get an agreement between the the European Union and uh, the UK.
4: Would you support any reopening of that deal which Theresa May has with the European Union because there are some MPs in uh, the UK calling for such a reopening?
1: The main question now is uh, to get an agreement within the parliament. Um, And we are all following these debates. And uh, I'm still a big fan of the tradition of pragmatism in Great Britain. Uh, this was for centuries something which was relevant for the parliament as well. And I'm sure that this tradition will be uh, the basis for a solution.
4: Okay. Um, do you think that Brexit uncertainty in general is already weighing on economic activity on the continent, on mainland Europe?
1: So far we cannot see that there is a a big impact on the economic development in Europe uh, coming from the ongoing debate about Brexit. Um, We are well prepared for both an agreement and a Brexit without an agreement. But um, anyone knows that it would be better to have something which is with a deal. And uh, so we are still hoping for an outcome that makes this feasible.
4: So even though Germany is not in favor of reopening a deal, I think one, it's fair to say that Germany is also not in favor at all of the UK crashing out of the Eurozone, uh, of uh, Europe, I should say, because clearly the repercussions for Germany as the biggest economy here on the continent would be enormous, uh, not only for Germany, but also to, uh, for the, the, the eastern partners of Germany. Um, So essentially, I think Germany will very much support Theresa May in her ongoing uh, negotiations with the EU and perhaps not be as a hardliner as
0: France seems to be. With that, back to you. Annette, let me pick up on that. And great interview, by the way. Um, Excellent to have that first on. Um, The situation between Germany and France, re Brexit, what does this disagreement signal to you? We know there's a new leader coming in Germany at some point. Is this just further evidence perhaps that the views on the direction of travel for the Eurozone experiment are beginning to diverge more significantly? (laughs)
4: I love you say the Eurozone experiment. I guess perhaps one could argue that while Emmanuel Macron uh, wants to push Eurozone or Europe uh, integration a lot faster, uh, Germany is again kind of putting the foot on the on the brake here because um, clearly it's not too popular also inside germany to have like a big push towards european integration Um, and that's perhaps what we see currently that there is yeah as you were saying and some sort of yeah disagreement between France and Germany, but overall, I guess, they will always uh, show us the display of harmony, because clearly the axe, the Franco-German axe, so to say, is super important also going forward. But clearly there will be a lot of political posturing ahead of that European election, because it's in their national interest also to have, for example, the France want the commission, the Germans also want it somehow, but perhaps not. You know, I think we'll never get over these national uh, egos in a way uh, when it comes to the European project back to
0: you. Excellent. Annetta, thank you so much. We'll catch up with you uh, a little bit later on for for more on that story. I mean, what an intriguing situation. This sort of three in the bed um, that we've got with uh, France, the UK and Germany. And clearly there, you know, the UK is being tiresome. Let's face it, there are so many strategic blunders that, that have been made here that we've got to this point so long after the referendum and we still don't have a clear plan. Uh, and Parliament isn't really helping with this situation. But extraordinary how it's beginning to be a little divisive among the key core Eurozone members. It
2: feels very un British what's taking place, but I thought yesterday it was uh, quite stunning having Donald Tusk come out with his letter and effectively saying, uh, you know, don't be influenced by negative emotions, let's just treat the UK with the highest respect. And uh, there's no need uh, to uh, make them feel humiliated at any stage during the difficult process. I think the uh, UK, the British, they're enough to create enough humiliation here anyway, without having the European heap more on top of them. And I think what we just saw in the interview, this respectful conversation about the Brexit process taking place there in Germany between our reporter and uh, Olaf Scholz, yeah, just how highlighting nice to, to, the to sort of
0: calm heads prevail for right. a change instead of the vitriol that we've become used to around this conversation. Anyway. If you want to catch more from our interview with the German finance minister, Olaf Scholz, we will have uh, an extensive version played tomorrow here on Squawk Box. Uh, Speaking to CNBC and an exclusive uh, Barclays CEO, Jess Staley played down Brexit-related market volatility but predicted a rally if a deal is secured. Is remarkable, given how profound the decision of Brexit will be one way or another, how little volatility there have actually been in the financial markets, being currency or being rates, uh, uh, tied to Brexit. Uh, now, let's see if If there is a negotiated deal, and it's a soft Brexit, my own view is you will see quite a rally in a number of the financial markets. But um, there is a lot of fatigue. I think it is a challenge to the political institutions across the U.K., and, hopefully, they can come to a a resolution that everybody wants, which is a a soft deal, um, uh, uh, rather than a crash out of the European Union. Daily. Well, on the economic calendar today, we have industrial production data from France, Italy and the UK alongside the February read of UK GDP, which is forecast to pick up year-on-year, but fall to zero on a monthly basis. The ECB is expected to stay dovish in its latest policy decision, while Fed minutes will shed some light on the committee's guidance ruling out a rate hike this year. And U.S. bank CEOs face lawmakers on Capitol Hill in a review of systemically important banks ten years after the financial crisis. We're going to take the break. We'll be back in just a moment. We need to catch up on the latest from Israel. The two leaders uh, in this uh, major election race, both claiming victory. But how are the polls starting to tell the story? We'll cross live to Tel Aviv when we come back.
2: And if you just can't get enough of a Squawk Box, be sure to tune into our very own podcast head to cnbc.com, iTunes, Spotify or Google Play to have a listen. And download today's episode. Meantime for our podcast listeners, stick around for some more.
0: Both major party leaders have claimed victory in Israeli elections, but current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appears on track for a fifth term. Let's get out to Hadley in Tel Aviv for more here. And yet, Hadley, I think both leaders said that they thought they'd won in the polling. Are we getting a clearer sense now of how this is run?
3: Absolutely, Jeff. I mean, with 97 percent of the voting uh, counted as of today, one of the big questions going forward is going to be who can best form a coalition. And what we understand at this point is that Mr. Netanyahu's Likud party as well as other supporting more far-right parties are going to push him over that threshold that he needs. He needs 61 seats in the Knesset uh, to form a coalition. They have between 65 and 67 currently. So it's just enough to get them over that threshold to form a coalition. But I thought it was really interesting that as uh, the polls were closing last night, here around 10 p.m. local time, the exit polls did continue to show Benny Gantz, his chief rival, and the prime minister neck and neck here. And it was, uh, it was. we're talking about egos right before we went to break. It's all about the ego. It's all about the optics. With both of these candidates decided to declare victory immediately, let's listen into what Mr. Benny Gantz had to say.
0: It's a historic event, actually. It never happened in Israel before. And we'll take it from here. It's just the first night. You see the real results. I'm sure and confident that we can do it. We'll continue.
3: Not to be doubt done, of course, Prime Minister, but Prime Minister Benny ben who essentially doing the same. Uh, but it was interesting uh, to take a look at the voting. It seems as if the Likud party were the ones to pick up seats in Benny Gantz's hometown and uh, in Mr. Netanyahu's hometown. It seems as if the blue and white party, Benny Gantz's party, was the one to pick up seats there as well. But let's listen into what the prime minister had to say overnight.
0: It is a night of colossal victory. I am very moved that the people of Israel put their trust in me again for the fifth time.
3: He's calling it a night of colossal victory, maybe more like a, a night of clinging to power. Now, by July, that would make the prime minister the longest-serving prime minister in the history of this country. This, of course, is off the back of continued U.S. support. We even saw yesterday on Capitol Hill a hearing where Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, was really refusing to commit when it comes to the future of U.S. foreign policy with regards to Israel. There were a lot of questions uh, that he was taking, not just on what's happening with the Golan Heights, but also what's going to happen in the West Bank, whether he's going to continue to support uh, the prime minister's moves uh, in that space as well as this elusive uh, peace plan that has been uh, much discussed that should be coming from the White House, should be coming uh, from the President's son-in-law Jared Kushner. Still no details on that but it seems that if Mr. Pompeo yesterday in testimony on Capitol Hill was uh, alluding to the fact that we could see it very shortly and that events could move very quickly once this election uh, result is decided.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com.